0: Well, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you decided to join us today for the first time, we're really honored that you're here. We do all this for you. Uh, we do it the way we do it for you so that you can um, find out that God likes you and loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. And so we're really honored that you decided to be here today. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open it to Matthew chapter 8, what Michael Treem read a few minutes ago Matthew chapter 8, 1 to 4. If you have a Um, our app it'll be on our app when you open it or if you have you version on your phone you can open it to Matthew chapter 8 we'll look at that in just a minute Uh, I do want to give you an update just before we jump into this uh, this message today Uh, about last week we had our back to school fair I think this is the fourth year that we've done this and I wanted to show you some pictures uh, about the impact that you had on our community as you know if you've been around here the mission of our church is to make disciples who love God who love people and serve the world the way that Jesus did And uh, you did some of that last week. 150 of you volunteered uh, to make, to pull that off, uh, all of the different things that happened. I'll give you some of the stats from the day. Portage Community Garden gave away 775 pounds of organic produce for free. Yeah. Um, There were uh, 200 haircuts that were given for free. Last year, I think there were 66, so I I think we had 15 or so haircutters that donated their time for that. 300 packages of new underwear and socks. Uh, 300 things of tubes of toothpaste, 400 toothbrushes, scores of books, 1,500 hot dogs. I didn't. Yet, I did not eat one. 985 snow cones, 750 bubble teas, uh, scores of gently used books. And then when we at the end of the day, when we counted up who we were serving, because we're serving families who need this help to get their kids ready for school, 1,348 people came through the gate last last Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and you you gave away so by volunteering by giving uh, by serving you gave away school supplies to 824 kids. That's who came through last year. Yeah, isn't that great? Now why why we do this why we do this is we're just followers of Jesus. So we want to do whatever we think Jesus would do for our community, and we think this is one of the things that the people. Uh, that, need, that need this help would need. And so we just want to do it as kindly and as, as, with as much dignity as we can. And we want to do it again next year. We want to do more. If you have, have kids in school, you know how much it costs to get your kids ready for school. And if you were here last week, I told you my kids aren't going to school because we couldn't afford it all. I and mean, it 's nuts, right? We're going to do more next year and more, serve more kids and give more away. So we're, thank you for doing that. You did that. Well, we're, um, we're in a series, we're starting a new series as we work our way through the Gospel of Matthew all the way through this calendar year. If you were here uh, the last number of weeks, all the way through the summer, we looked at Matthew 5 through 7, which, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about how to live a blessed life. He opens up in Matthew 5 saying, who can be blessed? And uh, here in Matthew chapter 8, as we jump into this, we're going to see how Jesus takes what he taught and he put it into practice. But, right here in chapter 8, it gets freaky fast, and I don't mean Jimmy John's. Um, I, do, I, I do love how fa- freaky fast they bring their food. I'm talking about it gets, it gets, uh, it gets supernatural. Even in, just in chapter 8, uh, Jesus heals people. He casts demons out. I don't know what you think about that. He uh, rules over nature. There's a story, we're going to get to it in a few weeks, uh, that Jesus is in a boat, and the disciples are out on the lake. It's kind of like Lake Michigan. The waves can get really large out in the middle of the lake and uh, he's there, and he's asleep in the storm, and his disciples are terrified, and they say, Jesus, wake up. What are you doing? Uh, There's a storm. Don't you see? We're going to die, and Jesus says, you have little faith, and he turns, and he, uh, Matthew says, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and immediately they're still. It's like, it, it gets freaky fast, now, um, so we're going to talk about the supernatural, because this is the life that Jesus lived, to live a supernatural life. Now, I want to tell you a story. You're not going to believe this story. You're going to think this is one of those preacher-pastor stories. Um, but you know how, uh, and, and let me just give you a context. You know how sometimes, and I hope you don't do this, but late night uh, TV, there's a guy on, and he's got a white suit, maybe, and then he uh, has a, a phone number at the bottom where you can call in, and you if you give him so many dollars, he'll send you a John the Baptist prayer cloth or mary and martha steak knives or you know something you know what I'm talking about like these kinds of guys at night right those are the people you don't want to be like right i don't think they're i think they're in it for the money they're not in it for the right reasons the story i'm telling you is not about people like that okay these are about normal people i have some friends who pastor a church in oklahoma city oklahoma and these are just normal dudes uh, the guys that are on staff if you saw them you would think they were like high school football coaches or something the way they look they're just normal looking dudes and they're doing their best in oklahoma city to follow jesus and uh, they have, have read this passage, Matthew chapter 8, and they understand that Jesus lived a supernatural life and asked us to live a supernatural life, and so they're trying to figure all that out, how that all works, and, and so they just pray for people to be healed on a regular basis, and, and um, so you're, as I tell you the story, I promise you're not going to believe the story, but let me just tell it to you. So they've got one of their guys as a leader, not a pastor, uh, I think if I remember the story right, he's a contractor, Uh, so he's just a dude, right, he's living his life, he's doing his thing, and uh, he hears uh, via a lady who sends it into the church and says, listen, my, my elderly father is sick, and they think he's going to die, I would like someone from the church to come pray for him. Now this is not an unusual thing, this happens all the time for us. Uh, we'll go to the hospital, the staff, some of you go to the hospital and visit people, and we'll pray for people and pray that they're healed. So they send this, this guy, he goes and he prays for this, this elderly gentleman, I think he was in his late 80s, and you know, he'd beat the actuarial tables, he'd lived his life, right, maybe it was his time. So he goes and he prays for him, and um, he goes home, and he goes to sleep, and he has this really weird dream, in this really weird dream, he feels like he needs to go back to the hospital, and so in the dream, he goes back to the hospital, lays his hand on the guy's feet on the bed, and the guy prays for him, and the guy sits up. Dream over, wakes up. Weird dream, doesn't know what to do with it. He's not quite sure, but he's just unsettled. Well, it, over the night, he gets the message from the daughter that the, the dad had died now not fully died but he his his brain uh, he was brain dead and his body was still pumping they had machines going now if you've ever been in this scenario you know that you have to make a choice at that point when you're brain dead you're dead your brain's done it's not coming back you're not going to live again it's just a matter of when your family uh, when and if your family's going to pull the plug so they're going to pull the plug and the guy thinks I had this weird dream maybe I'm supposed to go pray for this guy this is weird you're not going to believe this so he goes into the hospital. He kind of talks his way in because they're, like, they're getting ready to pull, literally pull the plug. He walks up to the guy like in the dream. He puts his hand on his feet. He prays that he would be healed. And sure enough, this guy sits up. Now, here's what I know when I told that story and then when I told you about the things that Jesus did in Matthew 8 and the supernatural, you had one of, that's my phone, no, don't worry, uh, one of two reactions. Thank you. <laughs> one of two reactions. Here's what happened. If you're a person who feels like, you know, I don't believe all of this, uh, I'm exploring all this, I, I would call myself maybe a secular person, you said, I, I, this doesn't happen. We know that doesn't happen. When you die, you die. We know there's no supernatural. We know there are no miracles. That doesn't happen. Or if you have the Christian version of that, there are some people who, who believe, well, that happened back in the Bible times, but that doesn't happen today. You had, you had that reaction, or you had the reaction where you said something like, okay, tell me how that happened because I'd like to see that happen today. You had one of those two reactions. Now we're going to spend, we're going to spend several weeks talking about the supernatural and I promise you this is going to challenge your faith and it's going to challenge your understanding of your faith because as we work our way through to chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9 after Jesus has healed all these people and cast out all these demons and Uh, done all these amazing supernatural kinds of things at the end of chapter 9 he says now look this is a harvest field that God has he uses this agricultural metaphor this is a harvest field so what we need to do is you need to pray therefore that the Lord would send workers into the harvest field and what he's saying is the people who follow Jesus would go and do the exact supernatural kinds of things that he did and if you follow Jesus Jesus is going to challenge you to become a healer now you may go what do you what do you mean I had a guy that, uh, that I was discipling, and he was, uh, um, he, again, a normal, normal dude. We're, and we talked through this kind of thing. His name was Charlie, and he was an HVAC guy. And uh, we, we talked through, if you follow Jesus, he did all these crazy things. Did that really happen? Well, could we do that? I mean, how would, how would that work? And uh, so anytime someone was sick, we would pray for them, and we would just pray that they'd be healed. And so uh, I came to him one day, and I, I, I had something happen to my knee. I don't know what happened. Just got a weird pain. I was getting old. And, and my knee starts to hurt, and I can barely walk, I can't bend it, and I walk up to him, and I'm telling him about my knee, and I'm not really thinking about the fact that I could be healed from this, and so, uh, and again, you're not going to believe this, you're going to think it's a preacher story, it's true, so I, I go to him, and he goes, well, hey, we've been, we've been saying that we're supposed to pray for this kind of stuff, so why don't I pray for your knee? This is verbatim what he prayed, Lord, puts his hand on my knee, Lord, do your magic, amen, <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're supposed to say, but that's what he said. And I felt this warm sensation go through my knee. And I went like this, and I went, it's gone. Yeah, no, that's cool. All right, great. All right. But here's, here's what I'm saying. If you follow Jesus you're called to do these kinds of things too and it's gonna it's gonna challenge you now we have to lay some groundwork before we can jump into all this uh, that we can build on because what jesus does right here in matthew chapter 8 is so outside the bounds of what was normal and appropriate and fitting for his time and in fact it was so radical that i am sure that he turned some people's stomachs when he did it and he probably lost some followers when he did what he did right here and he might lose you that might be what happens but We need to look at it and lay the groundwork because this is the foundational reason for why Jesus healed people and cast out demons and silenced storms. You can't miss it. It's the the reason the supernatural is there in the first place. And if if you don't understand this, the supernatural won't make any sense to you, okay? So before we jump into that, I need to to give you a test. And so I need you to test yourself. Uh, I need to give you a faith test. Uh, Do you remember the show? Now, the first service is a a little grayer. And so, this is a little younger, so you maybe don't remember this show, but I remember it, and I'm not gray, I'm just bald. Uh, So, uh, but you remember the show Let's Make a Deal? They made a reprise of it not long ago, so if you're you're younger, maybe you know this. But if you don't know what this show is, this TV show, it was Let's Make a Deal. There was this game show, and you would go on it, and the host would come to you, and you'd pick you out of the audience, and he would walk up, and he would say, hey, let's make a deal. He said, I'll give you $500 cash right now, or... You can have what's behind door number one, door number two, or door number three, right? He'd do this whole little routine. And so you would have to make the choice. I either take the $500 cash or I pick door number one. And if you pick door number one, you don't know what's behind door number one. It might be a dream vacation to Hawaii or it might be a set of used tires, right? You just didn't know. And so if you picked the wrong door, you you walked away very disappointed. Now, it's the same thing with faith. If you pick the wrong door you'll walk away very disappointed with faith, and you go, oh, I wasn't what I thought it was. So I need to give you a test to see which door you believe is faith. I got four, four doors, and you see which one you think faith is, okay? So here's the, here's the first door. I'm going to tell you these first three are the wrong door. This is not what faith is, and the, the last door is, is what Jesus sees faith as being. Door number one. Door number one is like this. Uh, it's the door that says, faith is what I believe. It's the set of ideas that I hold. If you've been around church stuff, it's uh, the doctrine that I espouse or the theology that I understand. And so what this basically entails is that we think that faith is the ideas that I have about God. As long as I have the right ideas, then God scans my brain somehow and goes, well, you got the right ideas, so I guess I'll let you be in my family. But you, 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 you have the wrong ideas, so you can't be in. So what happens with that is that we then dis- we, we play these head games where we decide who's right and who's wrong, and we post things on Facebook, and someone else comes with a comment and says, that's not right, and they quote this verse, and then they say this other thing, and we get in an argument. And, and what happens is it, with, when this is what we think faith is, we become talking heads with no action to back it up, and we become people who judge other people who don't see it like we do, and we look down our nose at people who we believe are not right in their theology. This is behind door number one it's one of the used sets of tires now behind door number two is is this is the idea about faith is that faith is what i feel about god i feel when i feel something good about god oh my faith is so strong i feel so i feel so close to god right now i love it when we sing that song or when we talk about that subject oh i just feel so close to god but here and and that's 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 okay Uh, but here's the here's what happens Our faith is strong when we feel good about God, and our faith disappears then when we struggle. Now, here's the thing about feelings. When you you say that's what faith is, really your faith is then about how you feel. It's not about what God's like. It's about how you feel. Your your feelings are like the wind. They change a lot. And feelings are a, a wonderful feedback mechanism, but they're a terrible rudder for driving your life or your faith. They're just terrible. And that's that's what's behind door number two. That's also a used set of tires. Now, one of the other ones that gets confused, and I say it because we're in a political season, is the idea that faith is my politics. So here's how some Christians see it. They say faith, uh, the faith is supposed to be expressed in me voting the person who shares my values into office, and then everything will be okay. And if I pick the right person, then God's going to like America, and everything's going to be right. Now, this can happen on either side. You can either be a donkey or an elephant, you can be red or blue, Democrat or Republican, and you can have this whole laundry list of things that you're looking for in a person. Now, you know, though, if your faith, you think faith is tied to politics when you give more money to politics than you give to God's work through his church. That's a sure sign that you think faith is your politics. But there's a joke. It's really not a funny joke, but it just kind of makes the point. What do you get when you mix religion and politics? Politics. Because the, the desire for power always trumps Uh, genuine faith. There's this lust for power that always wins out when you think that faith is your politics. Now, door number four, the right door, what faith actually is, faith is confidence in God. Uh, The the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, there's a very famous chapter, chapter 11, that's called the Faith Hall of Fame, and it starts out verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see it's confidence in God's character and power believing that it, God if God's willing anything is possible now faith can start with my mind so what i believe my theology that my doctrine that's all important stuff it affects my emotions i want to feel things toward God it hopefully impacts the way i live out my values but it's kind of like it's kind of like this chair right here i, I can have this chair and I can believe in the chair. Does anyone believe in the chair today? Anyone in the house? Can I get an amen for the chair? Amen. I can, Yes, amen, hallelujah. The chair is here. It exists. It's real. You know, I, but I can argue with you about the chair. I can say, well, a the, the, the real chair, the legs are shorter, or a real chair is made out of metal, or a real chair is a different color. No, I don't agree. The Bible says it's supposed to be a different color. Yeah, we could get in those arguments, but that's not faith. I could feel good about the chair. I really like this chair. I feel close to the chair. When, I, when I'm near this chair, everything just seems right in my life, right? <laughs> I could vote for this chair in a best chair competition and hope that if this chair gets in office, all the problems in the world will be solved. But none of those are faith, right? I only have faith in the chair when I put my confidence in it and trust that it will do what it's designed to do and it will support me and so I can surrender myself to what it can do for me. That's faith. That's faith. That's confidence in God. That's what faith is. That's exactly what it is. So here, here as we look at this passage in, in uh, chapter 8, this helps us to see why Jesus does what he does. I'll, I'll read it to you. Verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Jesus was popular. Uh, when, when you do things, the things that uh, Jesus did, and you say the things that Jesus people are going to show up? That's why we always want to be growing. We always want to be reaching more people. Then verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this is why the faith test is important, because notice what he does not say. He does not say, Lord, I believe you exist. Lord, here's my theology about who you are. Here's my doctrine that someone taught me in Sunday school. Can you heal me? Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Lord, I feel pretty good about you right now. I'm I'm feeling pretty close to you. Do you think you could maybe heal me as a result? Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm voting for the candidate who best represents Christian values, so could you do me this one solid and heal me real quick, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that either. What does he say? He says, Lord, I have confidence in you. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Anybody need to be clean? Verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man I am willing he said be clean immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy now you need to understand about leprosy uh, in that day it was a skin disease this the word here covers a whole host of skin diseases and in that day without medical doctors like we have them today the priest functioned kind of as a medical officer for the town or the community and so if you got a, a sickness you would go to the priest and he had these kind of criteria and he would go yes okay this is this kind of disease and this is what's going to happen and and if he saw that it was an infectious disease that could uh, be debilitating to you he would say okay well go over here you're gonna be unclean for a few days ritually and and ceremonially and religiously but uh maybe maybe god will heal you and everything will be okay and you can come back and check with me again well if he came back and he got the same diagnosis again and the the priest said you know you have leprosy and and our law the, the old testament law says that if you have this skin disease you're unclean before god and so if anybody comes near you or touches you you're going to make them unclean you're now you're now a pariah to our community and you have to go over there you don't belong with us anymore. I'm sorry, this is tragic to you. Uh, you. You have to go over there. Now, the diseases that they would get, I made the, m- the mistake this week of Googling images of people with leprosy. When, when you got leprosy, you became literally a horror of a person. It's a disease that will take uh, the fingers and you'll lose all feeling in your fingers, and so you can actually break your fingers or knock them off, you lose your nose, lose your fingers. You You become literally a monster and it's like death because not only are you now ostracized but now you can't feel anything your mom can't kiss you on the cheek no one can give you a hug because then they'll be unclean so you're basically uh, uh, given a death sentence so here's why what Jesus did was so outside the bounds of what was normal and it was so radical here's what Jesus does is he reaches out and he touches that man now in that day this means nothing to us we're like oh he touched him No, no, no. See, everyone knew all the laws, and they're seeing this guy as a leprosy. Everyone else is backing away, and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, hey, leper dude over there. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes right toward him, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And he touches the man, and I'm sure at that moment there were some people who said, you know what, that's not right. That is not right. There's a verse in the Bible that says you're not supposed to do that, and you're not supposed to act that way. That is wrong. I am not following this Jesus anymore. I'm done. I'm out with that. But Jesus touches the man. Now, notice, 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 this is really interesting. He says, the leper says to Jesus, if you are willing. And Jesus does say, I am willing, but Jesus doesn't say it from a distance, doesn't say that. He says, He reached out and He touched the man. Now, do you remember if you were with us when we started the series on the Beatitudes, the series we call it A Blessed Life? We said that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is what he's doing there, and he says, Who's blessed? is he's making the point that his kingdom is open to anybody there's no life circumstance that could keep you outside of god's kingdom that anybody can come in and then he does this whole teaching and then here in verse eight the very first thing that he does is he demonstrates and he says listen i really meant what i said back there anybody can come into my kingdom no matter what kind of condition they have anybody's welcome anybody can walk in at any point in time and he reaches out and he touches the man now you need to understand why jesus is doing this because if you see why he's doing this this will start to make sense to you Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is embodying his own message. What's his message? An insider, an outsider can become an insider at any point. He's, he's showing that if you follow him, that means that you're going to touch the untouchable. Now that's not a word that means a lot to us, the untouchable, right? I mean, it, really the word comes from India, the way we use it today. And if you know anything about India, it's one of the world's uh, most populous countries. India is the predominant religion there is Hinduism, and Hinduism has has at its core that you earn your way in life, and the better you do in life, the closer you can get toward enlightenment, nirvana. And so if you do well in this life, then you'll come back in the next life, And you'll do a little bit better in that life. And so the result of that is that there's this, uh, what's called a caste system. There are people at the top who apparently have done better in other lives. And there are people at the bottom who apparently didn't do so well in other lives. And you don't, if you're at the top, you never touch the people at the bottom. In fact, it would be bad for you. It'd be religiously bad for you to go help that person who's a human being suffering in pain with terrible things having happened to them. It'd be terrible for you because you might be interrupting their cycle of karma. So it creates this thing, and they they even call them the untouchables. Now, one of the most famous Christians who's lived in probably the last 50 years is Mother Teresa. She died a number of years ago, but you know what Mother Teresa did? Mother Teresa moved to Calcutta, India, and she went and worked with the untouchables. The reason is she said, well, Jesus touched the untouchable, so I'm not going to ignore them. These are real human beings with needs. I'm not going to push them aside. She embodied the message of Jesus. So here's, here's what Jesus is doing. He, he goes directly to the worst part of the world, and he does something about it, which begs the question, what's the worst part of your world? And who are the untouchables in it? You see, here's, Jesus is touching the person who embodies the pain of life. See, Jesus is the best example of what he taught, and the leper is the worst example of what life had brought. And when, when the one who embodies love touches the person who embodies pain and hurt, guess who always win, wins? The one who embodies love. Always, every single time. That's always what happens. Now, see, this is true then and it's true now. Religious people are always worried about staying clean. Like, well, I can't, I mean, I can't help those people. I mean, I, I mean, that would cost me money. They might dirty up my house. I might, they might ruin my car. They might, they might smell. They might not... They might bother me emotionally. I might not be able to sleep at night. See, the religious people have had the same arguments forever. But Jesus was not, not worried about getting dirty. He was worried about cleaning people up. I'll, I'll give it to you like this. Jesus was saying that you could live a blessed life, but he was demonstrating that a blessed life blesses lives. You might have been through that series and gone, yeah, I want a blessed life, man, I want to be, all oh, whoo, bless me, Jesus. Listen, Jesus is embodying the message, and he says, uh, listen, a blessed life blesses life. You're not a person who blesses people's lives, the untouchables, and the nobodies, and the last, and the least. And you're not actually following Jesus. So here's what happens. Immediately, he was cleansed. Now, that's, that's wonderful news, especially if you came in here with dirt and you say, man, I would love to be clean. To every person who's dirty, Jesus, Jesus is always saying, I'm willing, you can be clean. But now, here's the, here's the tough news, right? <laughs> is that Jesus also says that to every person that you don't like, agree with, or think is wrong. He says the exact same thing to them. I'm willing, be clean. He doesn't make any distinctions like we make distinctions. So then in verse 4, Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest's. And offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He's, he's helping them to fulfill the law, what the law said that would allow you to come back into the community and no longer be an outsider. Now, what, what do we do with this story? So what? How do we apply this to our life? Uh, y- you need to understand this because Jesus doesn't do the supernatural for the supernatural's sake. He doesn't do it to be fantastic the reason he does it is for people, because God, God's desire is to heal people's lives. and He'll do anything to do it. So if you're going to be a, a blessed life that blesses lives, let me give you three simple ways that you can begin to do that this week. And we're going to spend several weeks. We're going to talk about healing, and we're going to talk about demons, and we're going to talk about all of that as we work through this. But I want to give you three simple ways that you can be a person who blesses lives. And, and it's all tied to the, the person that's the last, right? The last, because that's what the leper is. He's the last, the last possible person you would want to be around here's the first thing is that you would look for the last now jesus was always looking for people like this in fact you could say that the gospels matthew mark luke and john the accounts of jesus life were simply stories of jesus going and looking for people who were less than and who were the least and he's always finding people who couldn't pay him back now, as a church, we want to do that. We want to be the kind of church that serves people who can't do anything for us. And so we do things like that fair. I mean, it's an awesome thing. We're going to do it again, and we're going to do it bigger and better because we want to serve more people. But that's us coming together as an organization and using everybody's gifts and talents on a one-day kind of a thing. That's great. But listen, you're the church. You're it. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. So my question to you is, how are you looking for the, the last Every day of the year, I'm not meaning you put on a big fair. I'm just saying you're looking for people, you got your eyes open for people who are hurting. let me, let me say it to you in a real practical way like this, what if every day this week you find a way to do something for someone who can't pay you back? Man, you'd be, you'd be someone who's blessing lives. So you got to look for the last, and the second is you got to serve the last. Now uh, there's a phrase that gets thrown around, and I, it's a good question, uh, but it's this do you want to be on the right side of history people use that phrase and, and they usually use that phrase to get leverage on you and to get you to agree with their position on a given subject but that really implies that someone is judging history now here's what we know we know that God is the judge of history and whoever God's the one who determines in the end who is on the right side of history and here's how here's how God is going to judge the world he's going to ask okay did you learn what Jesus taught and did you do it? And if you do that, guess what? You're on the right side of history. doesn't matter what the issue is. You're on the right side of history every single time. So here's the question, though. If you, if you learn what Jesus taught and you do it, you'll end up serving the last. So my question for you is how do you serve people? What's your mechanism for doing that? Are you, do you do that once a year or do you do that every day? Do you do that every week? Do you have some place you're giving your energy and your time? When we get all the way to the end of Matthew, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus outlines for us the kind of people he wants served. He, and he personifies it. He says, listen, I was, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I had no clothes and you clothed me. And I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and, and you came to visit me. And I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. How are you serving those kinds of people? How are you actually doing something to make a difference in their life? That's, that's the thing that God's looking for. And then the last thing is that you've got to you got to love the last, so look for the last, serve the last. and Then you actually, have to, you actually have to love the last, which means you have to act on their behalf. You have to serve them in a sacrificial way. Love is not an emotion. Love is an act. The emotions, the payoff we get for doing something good. But how are you serving people who are the last? What are you doing to actually love them and see life from their perspective? I, I want to read something to you, and you're going to think I'm making a political point, and I'm not making a political point. Uh, and if you think I'm making a political point, it's probably because you think faith is politics, and, and that's probably why you see it that way. But I, I need you to see this because this is an illustration of loving the last. One of my cousins um, is one of my heroes, and he, he and his wife were missionaries in a couple different, few different countries. Uh, their children were born in different places around the world. One was born in Chile, one was born in the Dominican Republic, and one was born in America. And they all speak fluent Spanish today. They're adults today. And um, one of his daughters lives uh, now in the United Arab Emirates, and it, her and her husband teach there in a, in a school. And the other day she posted this on, on Facebook, and I, I thought it fit so well. I just I wanted to read it to you. Uh, this is what she says. Her name's Anna. Uh, "I feel like I've failed. Maybe I haven't been clear enough or shared enough about my life and where I live, so let me start here. I live in the United Arab Emirates a country in the Middle East that borders Saudi Arabia and Oman across the Gulf from Iran. I've lived here for almost three years. The UAE, United Arab Emirates, is a Muslim country. The UAE is one of America's military allies in the fight against ISIS and terrorism. I work in a government school with coworkers who are Muslim, teaching students who are Muslim. I eat, shop, work, speak, laugh, and live life with Muslims on a daily basis. I've been treated with nothing but respect and love by my Muslim co-workers and friends. They've asked me about my faith, listened, and asked respectful questions about our differences. They've bought me birthday cakes, held my hand, hugged me, kissed me, celebrated with me, mourned with me. They have also asked me, sadly, why America hates them. I have Muslim students who want nothing more than to visit the U.S. or attend university there. I have Muslim students and friends who are ill or who have family who are ill that regularly travel to the U.S. for medical help. In fact, the founder of the UAE, Sheik Zayed, built an entire hospital ward at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore in gratitude for their help. I could go on and on and on. The Middle East is not a country. It's a region with many different countries and kinds of people. You cannot point a finger at all Muslims in hate or fear. Show my Muslim friends the same courtesy and respect they have shown me and countless other Americans. And she says this, It's okay to be afraid, but be afraid of the right people for the right reasons. What's What's she doing? She's loving people who are different than her, that you might be afraid of, I might be afraid of. Why? Because she's following Jesus. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that's what you're going to do. That's where you're going to go. Now we're going to spend all this time, we're going to talk about the supernatural. I hope we come back next week, we're going to talk about healing. We're going to pray for people who need to be healed. And we're going to believe that God's going to do supernatural things in your life. But you got to get this. you got to get the heart of it. you got to get why Jesus did it in the first place because he cares about people's lives and he wants them better. Do you? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, I pray for my friends today. I pray for us as a, a church family, as people who are trying to figure out how to follow you. And, and honestly, God, we hear about uh, this supernatural kind of idea and it's, it's overwhelming. I know it's overwhelming to me. And uh, I don't really know what to do with it, and I'm not sure any of us do. You do. We simply want to follow you, and we want to live the kind of life that you lived with all of your power, not some of it. So we ask you to teach us. God, more than that, I know your heart is not that we, we figure out healing. I know your heart is for people, that people be healed in every possible way, in every dimension. And so, God, make us into people who see why you do what you do and Give ourselves in full confidence to what you're doing. Uh, make us people who are like you. We ask this in your name. All God's people Said, amen. Hey, we always leave you with a blessing and so you'll see people around you holding out their hands. It's their way of saying, I'd love to receive a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay. Just receive this blessing. Uh, may you know that you're sent now to love God, to love people and in his name serve the world that he loves so much. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you next week.